With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Nina Carza Show. Oh my God, you know, just when you think all the results are going your way, you think Liverpool are going to get a real easy three points. Um, you know, you're, you're hopeful, you're optimistic, you expect the good times, but unfortunately that finished 1-1 at, against Fulham. Um, really gutted, really disappointed. Um, uh, before I go any further, just to let you know, this podcast, this show is brought to you in partnership with Liberty Shield, the perfect VPN companion for all your entertainment and privacy needs, where you can get a massive 25% off using the coupon code AIVPN. Yep, that's right, AIVPN. Liberty Shields offer free VPN apps for iOS, Android, Amazon Fire Stick, Mac and Windows. Now, like I said, I think we're all a little bit angry. It finished 1-1. I think it was quite a frustrating result. Luckily, it's not just going to be me prattling on. I have two incredible guests, so let's bring them in. First up, let me introduce a familiar voice on the Nina Kalza show. Dave Horrocks, welcome to Horrocks, welcome to the show. Hey there, Nina. Familiar had a clanger, had a clanger. <laughs> At some point near the end of the season, you might get my name right first time. But no, thanks ever so much for having me on again. It's it's always brilliant. Even after a shit show like that, uh, it's brilliant to come on and sort of vent and basically just uh, a bit of group therapy, isn't it, this this show? So I love it. It is group therapy. Once I speak to you guys, it's over and it's over. And joining Dave on this podcast, it is... It is the awesome Morchatra. Um, I have loaned him from the Raw podcast. You've heard him many a times there. He is also the host of the the Money Talks podcast. So it is an absolute honor having him on. Um, you two guys are going to be incredible. I feel like this my job will be very easy today. Mo, welcome to the show. Hi, Nina. Thanks for having me on. And wow, what a great introduction. So, uh, yeah, it was um, a shame. Uh, that we didn't pick up the three points to capitalise on everyone else dropping points around us. But uh, nonetheless, uh, let, let's kind of mull over exactly what went wrong today um, during the course of the show. Absolutely. And before we go any f- further, I think that's probably probably the first place to start. And Dave, um, I'll, I'll come to you on this one. I mean, you kind of look at the weekend results and you think, oh, yes, um, I, I mean, was it a tad arrogant um, to kind of think, oh, these should be very easy three points? Certainly when you look at the team sheet as well, you know, it looked for a, for a majority. I know we heard the Jota news and that was massively disappointing. And, um, you know, God, we could have done with him, you know, as, as a sub at some point in that game because, you know, he's been absolutely phenomenal. But you look at that team and, you know, you see Alisson back and, you know, Matip and Fabinho, your centre-backs and, you know, your full-backs are back and, 
uh, in Trent Alexander-Arnold. It it looks like it's it's a a very very good competent team. Yeah, absolutely. When when the team came through, I mean, Kelleher's done brilliant, hasn't he? But yeah, absolutely. When you've got Allison at the back, it just gives you that bit of extra confidence. And I, th- I looked at the lineup, and obviously, you know, we know about Virgil, but I'm looking at it. I'm thinking that is just about the most, uh, the, the, just about the strongest team we can put out. And so, with the other results of the weekend. I just thought, ah, oh, this is going to be one of those perfect weekends, isn't it? We're just going to uh, roll them over. And and normally, I'm I'm one of the most pessimistic just before the kickoff. I'm waiting for it, and I'm thinking, oh, what's going to go wrong? But even I was a touch arrogant before this one. I'm just thinking, okay, they're going to start strong, you know, but get to about sixty minutes, uh, uh, you know, scores roughly level, and then we'll just we'll just take them from there. But they started off like a steam train and we just looked like we couldn't put two or three passes together. We mm. looked really, really quite jaded. And I think the that cumulative fatigue is probably, I, I'm going to write this performance off down as that because those players didn't look like themselves tonight for me. I think that's a really interesting point. And, Ma, I'm going to come to you because it, it, I mean, we're getting to that busy period now. So I'd like, you know, your, your thoughts on, you know, it, you know, the, the whole, you know, situation with the results and, of course, the, the strongest that maybe Jurgen Klopp could have fielded. And the fact that, you know, I, I think Dave's just um, absolutely touched on something there. The fact that, you know, Liverpool, you know, look, you know, it's a busy time of the year. We know it is. It's Christmas. Physical and mental fatigue. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of these um, real tests of attrition here where we go into this really, really busy period. Um, I mean, we have got perhaps a slightly easier schedule of games coming up over the next three or so weeks compared to some of our rivals, not least for the fact that we aren't in the League Cup, unlike uh, most of the teams around us. Um, so, so that will certainly be a big help. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, it certainly seemed like a quite a tired, lethargic start to the game. Fulham, who'd had a good week off, had uh, clearly um, put a lot of energy into, uh, you know, the, the first 30 or so minutes because, uh, you know, they, they were quick to every ball, every duel. They were just um, so, so far stronger to it. And I did feel that, um, that, that was, there was no way for that to continue, that that had to subside at some point. And, and sh- sure enough, it proved. But um, ultimately, we, we lacked the quality to capitalise on them making this really blistering start that they weren't able to keep up for 90 minutes. But nonetheless, I agree with Dave. I, th- I think that, you know, there were certainly signs of fatigue there. And one of the most notable players that stuck out to me that really didn't look himself was Ginny Wijnaldum. And I thought that he, his performance was really disappointing because, um, you know, there have been games, quite important games this season already where, He's really stepped up, but he just wasn't on it at all throughout the entire game. And it was surprising because, you know, he'd had a good week break between the last game against Wolves um, last weekend. And I was hoping that he'd come into this, you know, really um, on, on top Fresh form. But yeah, yeah it, it just wasn't there. So a bit of a surprise, but uh, there we go. There you go. You learn something new, don't you, Dave? Um, uh, Ginny Wijnaldum does not respond well to um, a little bit of a break. <laughs> you know, just play him, <laughs> run him into the ground. I mean, 
I, I think that is a good thing to kind of highlight here because one of the things that really frustrated me and Dave, you and I kind of spoke before we started recording this pod was um, we were kind of um, just sharing our little bits of frustration about the game. And one of the things that we both kind of agreed on was the fact that we'll talk about the first half and, you know, their blistering start. But for me, the midfield just did not look good in the first half, like as a whole. And I think when, because Ginny is such a quiet guy who gets on with his role so well that he's one of those players that makes other people look well and, and look better. And his control and command of, of that midfield, you know, the, the way he kind of recycles the ball, but none of that. We could not string passes. Yeah, I guess the one thing I'd, I don't want to sound like a genie apologist, but the thing is with Genie, he's always there. And I'm starting to get a bit frustrated now with, uh, and, and it's not it's not like Matip's fault. You know, he doesn't go and intentionally get injured. But the thing is with a player like Genie, he's always there. He's always available for selection, it seems. So he didn't have the greatest game today. Did kind of win us the penalty with the free kick. Um, so, you know, he he was there in a in a crucial moment. But yeah, it wasn't his best game. But again, I, I just think we're obviously, we're missing out on Fabinho not being there as well. Because I think this is the type of game that, you know, having that bastard in midfield <laughs> would actually... Certainly you know, away from home, right? You know. Yeah, he'd just break things up, do a few tactical fouls. So having to play him at centre-back and missing that presence in midfield, I, I think, you know, we really miss that. But what was frustrating was just the, the inability to string a few passes together. I mean, and I'm not even talking long crossfield balls. Some of them were just simple, you know, 10-yard passes and they were going straight to the Fulham player. So, you know, although I think Fulham started well. They had the bit between their teeth. They obviously were doing, you know, they set up tactically. They knew how we were going to set up. Mm. Everyone kind of does now. But even then, it was just simple, basic errors that were catching us out and then leaving us on the back foot. I mean, even before we went behind, I, I think we could, you know, Alison had to make a couple of saves where, you know, we could have easily been 1-0 down earlier. And when it, you know, when we eventually did go 1-0 down, I, I got a few text messages from different people saying, yeah, that's that's been coming. Yeah. And I think during that period, Mo, I heard, um, you know, you, you kind of, you shouldn't do it, but I did it. You know, you, you look onto Twitter a little and people are kind of likening it to the Watford game of last season, you know, in terms of um, just how, you know, um, just out of um, uh, character, Liverpool looked because, you know, that, that season, Liverpool looked absolutely dominant. And then in that game, just completely shell-shocked. And, you know, um, I want to get your thoughts on that because it did. I mean, if at that point, I didn't want to believe it. I was like, no, we can't lose 3-0 or whatever the result was. It just can't happen. But when I look back and I look back at that first half, it was absolutely embarrassing. And, you know, you're sat there as a Liverpool supporter and you're sat there thinking a goal's going to come, a goal's going to come. You know, we're speaking about Fabinho then, the domino effect of, you know, the Virgil van Dijk injury. But he had to put in some, you know, um, he, he I think he got in um, a, a block at the end of the penalty box in the first three minutes. And then that whole VAR ridiculous thing of like checking um, the the penalty decision. Yeah, um, no, it was certainly not an ideal start. And you know, all credit to Fulham, in fairness, they really did um, turn it up to the max in terms of their pressing, their pressure. 
And um, we were really struggling to live with that. And now this was a team that was full of really quick, agile, nimble players that um, you know were, were certainly giving our, our back line you know trouble. And across the back line, even even Trent um, at right back, you know, really struggled against Lookman in, in the opening going. Uh, but yeah, in terms of that um, VAR call, um, my my initial thought after the multiple replays that we saw, and it did really drag out far too long, uh, was that it was certainly um, not not a penalty. I, I thought that uh, Fabinho got to it, but when they slowed it right down, almost like an extreme slow motion, then it certainly at half time looked actually like a penalty. Um, and, and, it, and it looked like Fabinho didn't really actually quite get to the ball, though on the regular slow motion, it looked like he did. So it just shows how difficult it is when the margins are so tight, you know, when we're talking millimetres, um, you know, to be able to call these decisions. But all credit to Andre Mariner, you know, when, when that call is made in the referee's ear to go and have a look at the monitor, it, it's almost inevitable yes. that the, the referee will overturn their decision. And so I was actually really relieved and glad that um, he had a look and his view was actually, no, this wasn't a penalty. Um, he felt that Fabinho did get a touch on the ball and he reversed it. And it was just as well, because if, if that was a penalty and we conceded again, uh, it would have been a long, long day and very, very hard to come back after that. Yeah, um, I think, you know, that would have been absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I was sat there, um, Dave, and we'll, we'll talk about that whole situation with VAR because it seems like we talk about this a lot because you're on my show all the time. And it's, you know, I've got a question here from AJ who says, how desperate was what to give VAR to give that penalty against Fab? Um, it, you know, does anyone know a, a good funded junior Kirkby who can do some having? Um, no idea. If anyone's listening, uh, please answer that question but it is getting so ridiculous to the point where it got slowed down it got manipulated to me it looked like a clean challenge but um I don't know what you where you were watching it but I watched it on Sky and you know everyone's kind of doing a court turn on themselves you know you initially heard um Jamie Carragher say great tackle and then they're like hold on a minute they're going to pull it back and then you kind of see Jamie Carragher kind of saying oh hang on a minute he's just clicked clipped him a little under his foot and his voice kind of changes oh no the ref's gonna go and have a look at the screen so then you're sat there thinking like Mo said you're fearing the inevitable because you know what happens when most of them go to the screen and then when it wasn't a penalty Jamie Hagg was, was like yep yeah, wasn't a penalty for me you know you literally go through every single emotion in four minutes and it's not uh... clear and obvious because to me that is not clear and obvious I'm going to desperately try and stay calm with this one, Nina, because you know that VAR just triggers me nowadays. And, mm. and the thing that triggers me more than anything is this bollocks that they talk about clear and obvious. I, I think I'd be less triggered if they just ditched that terminology, right? Mm. Because they're trying to make the perfect decision. Because if if you're stopping the game for four minutes, it's not clear and obvious, is it? You know, yeah. they should almost, they should have the countdown timer running, right? They get 30 seconds, and if they can't make a call then, it's clearly not clear and obvious, is it? So when when Fabinho goes to ground, it looked to me, in, in, in real time, it looked like a decent challenge. But I did, I did think that's a bit soft, that. You didn't need to go to ground there. It's a, it's a bit 
dangerous. You have to time it perfectly. And when they slowed it down and looked at from a different camera angle, it honestly looks to me like he gets his foot. And, mm. and it's the Fulham player's foot that kicks the ball out. And I think, ah, oh, that's it. We're fucked. This is a penalty. And then when they're checking for offside, I think that's it. He's, he's decided it's, a, it's definitely a foul. Now he's just checking for the offside to yeah. see if there was an infringement earlier on. I think that's it. We're fucked. Fair play to the referee for having the balls to go up and say, no, he's got the ball there for me. Honestly, I, I think that was a penalty. Really? Yeah, I love that. Look at you being controversial. Sure. Uh, from for me, it wasn't. Uh, for me, it absolutely wasn't. For me, it looked like he got the ball, and you know, I mean, I'd like to hear more more thoughts on this. I mean, like I said, football is very subjective. We're going to get to the Mosala one, and I I will talk about that one obviously later on in the pod. But I mean, more how how did you feel about that? I mean, if that was given in 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 you know after var kind of looked at it would you have been absolutely seething or would you have been okay i would have been seething um because i agree with both of you actually that during the game for the slow motion that was shown to the referee i was convinced that fabinho did get to the ball but it was that half time when they were doing the analysis with graham suness um and they slowed it right down that you can see that actually Fabinho doesn't get to the ball. Um, so, yeah, technically speaking, it, it should have been a penalty. But um, it, it needed an extreme slow motion where it slowed right down in order to definitively show that Fabinho didn't get to the ball. Um, and so on that basis, I can understand for the, for the replay that was shown to the referee uh, that we were all shown after the incident, it looked like Fabinho did get to the ball. It definitely looked like he did. He, I was in the Discord group, um, the Anfield Index Discord group, and you know most of us felt that you know Fabinho did get to the ball. It was only at half time that it was slowed right down that it looked like actually no, he actually, as Dave says, clipped um, the, uh, the, uh, the defender's uh, foot, and actually um, it should therefore have been a penalty. But yeah, we got away with one, um, but. Uh, Nonetheless, you know, we've had plenty of VAR decisions go against us unjustly. So um, it, it, was, it was kind of you know, ju- justice in that regard. Absolutely. And I have a question here, Mo. I'm going to stick with you because you're our finance guy and you do the transfer pod. So I have a question here from Chris Singh. Um, and then, um, Dave, I'll come to you after um, Mo answers it. Um, do you think Liverpool will buy at least two centre-backs in the upcoming window or will they wait until summer? I don't think it's feasible to expect our midfielders to play um, uh, in the back for the rest of the season. So, you know, given, you know, um, uh, putting the fans aspect aside, um, you know, um, you know, money-wise, logistically, do, I mean, Jurgen Klopp, he always kind of says that, you know, he likes to kind of train his players. We don't really spend big money. I know we did it with Virgil van Dijk, but as a whole, um, he doesn't really like to do it big, but needs must. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what you think about this one. Yeah, good question, Chris. I mean, I, I think that um, there's absolutely a clear need to go and invest in the January transfer window, given we have precisely zero fit centre-backs. Um, so that that isn't ideal. And that's an understatement. We have got a major issue here. I'm still, you know, one of the many fans that was frustrated at the end of the last transfer window 
to end it with only three recognised senior centre-backs. And I thought that was a massive risk. Every other top club around Europe has at least five. Many of them have six or seven, precisely because shit happens and players do get injured. And, you know, I thought it was a risk given Matty, you know, he's made of crisps. And, you know, Joe Gomez, unfortunately, just has this knack of getting these impact injuries, um, which always put him out for months. And, you know, there's every chance that that was going to happen. I mean, we always felt that Van Dyke is indestructible and, you know, we certainly expected him to go another season where he would be an ever-present. Unfortunately, thanks to um, Prickford at Everton, that wasn't the case. But, yeah, in answer to the question, we do need to invest. Will we buy two centre-backs? I highly doubt it. I think that the club clearly likes to do its business in the summer, um, but needs must, as you say. And I think we do need to, at the very, very least, bring in one centre-back. And ideally not one that's going to be considered you know, a kind of Clavan-type player that can just come in and, and do a job. Because I think we need more than that. Because we have to work on the basis that we won't see huge amounts of Matip between now and the end of the season, just because his history, his injury history, tells us that he just can't go four, five, six, seven, eight games on, on the trot without getting injured. And we are weakened in midfield by the fact that our best midfielder in Fabinho constantly has to play at the back as well. Um, ideally, I'd love to have two coming in, but I think that um, the club will only release the funds for one. And I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that that one is is a good centre-back signing. I, I think they probably would have looked to do good business and bring in a top centre-back in the summer. But as you say, needs must, and I think that needs to happen sooner or later. And hopefully they've got something already lined up. Absolutely, fingers crossed. Um, and Dave, I'll come to you um, with, with the same question. Um, anything you'd like to add on that? Um, I do have another question and about um, Matip, so we'll just hold on to that for a second. But your thoughts, Dave, about, you know, the whole conundrum about, you know, our midfielders having to, you know, it's not ideal. And we, I think we do, we need centre-backs. It's given. And I don't get this thing of there's no value in the January transfer market. We got Suarez in January. We got Coutinho. We got Sturridge. We got Andy Carroll. All right, maybe forget that last one. But, you know, there is value in, in January. But I guess the, the problem is if we so got go... Rodriguez in the January one, or am I dreaming? Because I'm sure he was. Maxi Rodriguez. Him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a legend. I was good. I know. I love him. Him. love him. Yeah, he was brilliant. But, um, yeah, so I, I think we've done all right in January. And I, I don't know, it seems to be this last two or three years, people have just decided, oh, there's no value there. Well, yeah, there is. <laughs> I do think there is. And especially if you've got, you know, different situations at different clubs, you've got players who want to make sure they're playing regular football so they get selected for their international team. There's all kinds of reasons why January makes sense. But it seems to be a narrative recently that there's no value there. So. I think the problem we're going to have is as soon as we go in for a centre-back, everyone kind of knows that we're desperate now. They'll I, add three I, notes to the end of the price. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. I, I love that quote from uh, Mo just there, that, that we have right now precisely no senior fit centre-backs. You know, we have Fabinho who's doing well, but he's a midfielder. We have none right now. So we are kind of desperate. We're clinging on. We are doing so fantastically well. We're still joint top of the league. 
where you know qualified for Europe, uh, uh, the Champions League through the Champions League group stage. This team are doing brilliant, but we are kind of on our knees. I would love us to sign two centre backs just to give us that comfort, you know. And but I don't think it's going to happen. I think Klopp does like to make sure people are drilled, make sure people know what the patterns of play are going to be. I don't think we've ever seen him make like a, a reactionary buy, ever. And so, you know, I, I, I tell you what, I'd have Clavin back right now, <laughs> to be honest. I think he'd do a job for us. But I, I think we'll sign one. But I, I agree as well. I, I think the... The the problem is, I mean, Gomez has had his injury problems. Matip's had his injury problems. Van Dijk has been indestructible, you know, but don't forget before we signed him, I, I think he had about six months out as well. So I just think it was a bit naive. And, and although hand on heart, I'm glad that Lovren will never play for us again. But, you know, he was a senior centre-back and I think we need to at least replace him and then possibly take a, a loan if there's a good opportunity for a loan move as well, just to see out the season while, like say, Gomez is out, we know Van Dijk's out. I, I think that, that would suit me. But, I mean, on, on the flip side, I'm glad that we can Realistically, you can't give... imagine Jurgen Klopp trying to incorporate two centre-backs as well, can you? Like... That's no. just really kind of disrupting his kind of system. And, you know, like also he, he's really big on um, unwarranted pressure on players. Yeah. And, and I think that what I think under Klopp and, and you know, Michael Edwards has, has obviously uh, done a brilliant job at, at the level above, but previously, um, what they do a great job of is not just the the attributes. You know, these aren't FIFA managers, are they, or championship manager ma- managers that just look at the attributes of the player. It's the personality as well. Jota, I, I know, oh God, I was gutted when I found out. You know, he's obviously going to be out for six to eight weeks, apparently could be longer. But when he came in, you just realise... And and it was a surprise, I'm sure, to most of us. You know, there's some some out there that might say, "Oh, yeah, he's obviously going to fit in." To me, it was a surprise how much how well he hit the ground running, and how well his personality just slots into that squad. And so, for me, I think there's so many variables with an actual player, a personality, adding that person into the squad. I think it means that there are very few players that would actually fit. You know coming into the squad right now and then you kind of need that player to be available and also available at the right price as well yeah i think that's the the, the tricky thing in in all of this um uh, i'll stick with you dave i've got a part two question from chris singh here also um uh, Nabi Lad and uh, Matip, you know, time to move on. I think when that substitute was made in in at the beginning of the second half, Matip's off and Minamino's on, not one of us thought it was tactical at all. We knew it was an injury. And, you know, it's just so unfortunate. But this guy, like Mo said, it looks like he's made out of crisp. And, you know, Nabi Keita, such a promising, talented footballer. But I think a lot of people are like, why is he not on the bench? How come he's not on the bench? You know, a bit, in, you know, like intrigued as to what is going on with him. I mean, What's your thoughts on these um injury these players that are unfortunate with injuries? I mean, should we move them on? I mean, it's it's a real tough one because 
they are so good. Yeah. And, but availability is a big thing. I, I absolutely think it is. And, and it's funny that Chris says that because a friend of mine texted me through at, at like half time. So when Minimino came on and named those exact same two players as well. Now, I, I don't know if I've missed something here, but I thought when Naby got injured the other week, I, I thought he was going to be out for like six weeks or something. So I, I wasn't expecting him to be available for selection today. So that wasn't a surprise for me, but it's just interesting that uh, Chris has highlighted He's played a few minutes here there. and there, though, hasn't he? Like he played in the Champions League midweek. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think I'm sure he might have featured at some point against Wolves. Correct me if I'm wrong. Think back now. Memory's gone. It's getting old. And mine, mine has <laughs> gone as well. But I think because he's had a little bit of like, I think he had a little bit of playing time against them at uh, uh, Michelin midweek, and obviously not even on the bench for this one. And his his career has been so stop and start. It's actually quite sad because we know he's talented. And and ultimately, it's it's like what I was saying about Genie. I know he didn't have the greatest game, but he's there. He turns up. He's available for selection every week, and it does make a difference. And I think I'll be gutted uh, for both of those players, actually, Cater uh, and for Matip as well. I mean, for Matip, for his facial expressions alone, <laughs> you know, you've just got to love him, haven't you? Yeah. But, but the problem is, if you're just fucking injured all the time, you know, and we only see glimpses, Cater, oh, we, we've seen these little cameos and we can see that there is such a player in there and he's going to, he's so exciting. He presses like a machine and he, you know, he sees things, he runs with the ball. He gives us something different that the rest of the midfielders don't give us. But you can't, you can't, kind of you can't rely on him to be available to be selected so i i don't know i wouldn't be in a rush to get rid of him to be honest but it's one of those where in terms of recruitment i think i would be looking for you know something else i i I think i actually think even though he came on and i guess he did all right i actually think minamino even though he's not kind of he's not been injured as much I think, given our injury situation, I thought there was a there was such a player there. You know, he he tore us to pieces, didn't he, at Anfield? And and I thought he'd be brilliant for us. But I kind of think if you if you're not able to shine well, you know, we're we're in this kind of injury crisis. I, I just wonder if he's going to cut it for us. So I think for me, there's question marks about all three of those: Kata, Matip, and Minamino. Oh, more your thoughts on, on you know, um, do we, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts as a fan and also from like a, a financial perspective on this as well, because, I mean, everyone will know that, you know, these two players are, are injury prone. So, you, I mean, the market value, um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that aspect of things as well. Personally, I want them to stay. I just feel like, I mean, I, I don't know, but I don't know what's happening. Matip, Matip came on a free. Um, uh, I, I adore him. I think he's really good. But between him and Gomez, you've got one full fit centre back. But if you're relying on them two with Virgil van Dijk out, it becomes problematic. Yeah, it does. I mean, we we have got serious, serious issues at centre back now. There's no getting away from that. Mm. 
I mean, hopefully Van Dyke will be back in time for the start of next season. I mean, it's, there's an outsider he might be back towards the end of this season. I don't think anyone should expect that to happen. Um, now, the reports, you know, if, if for those that listen to Fatigue Index, they'll know that Marty has talked a lot about the fact that uh, Joe's injuries is really, really bad. Um, and he may never be the same again. In fact, you know, the discussion was, was that, you know, he's unlikely to be the same again, which is a, a terrible shame. It's devastating, not only, obviously, for the fan base, but obviously for the player himself. Um, sure. I mean, we all hope that he'll be back to the, the Joe of old, but, you know, the probability with this type of injury he has is that he won't be. And then we've got uh, Matip, who's extremely injury-prone and, you know, age-wise is getting on as well. And those are our only three centre-backs. So of the of the three, we can only say, OK, there's one that we can look to the future with, and, and that is a 29-year-old at that in Van Dijk. So we need to seriously invest, you know, in the centre-back area over the next couple of years. Otherwise, you know, we're going to be right up shit creek without a paddle. Um, but then, you know, you know, talking about Naby and possibly other areas, you know, there's a lot of clamour to replace uh, Bobby. You know, there's a lot of talk of that, you know, Bobby's not the player that he was a couple of years ago. And, you know, it's fair to say he isn't. You know, he's certainly um, struggling to maintain any kind of consistent form. I mean, today I thought, you know, he had his moments where he actually looked pretty decent. Um, but there were other times when he was quite frustrating. And, you know, as a kind of goal threat, that, that seems to have completely deserted him and has done for a while. And obviously there's, you know, this kind of increasing talk about, you know, let's get Mbappe in. But that costs money. It's going to cost a ton of money. And the way that our finances are, you know, with no matchday income and all the other kind of money that we're having to give back to TV companies and other things, the only way that we can make this happen in terms of bringing in you know, decent depth at centre-back, but also somebody um, up front potentially as a replacement for Bobby, is potentially sell one of our prize assets in either Mo or Mane. And that's obviously... A, a completely unpalatable thing for our fan base to kind of even consider and talk about. But, you know, ultimately the way that our finances are, that might be the only way we can get proper business done to make sure that our squad is strong enough to go next season and the season after that. Absolutely watch this space. I mean, I, I do think it's very reactionary with certain players, uh, you know, people's, you know, like the whole Bobby Firmino thing as well. And, you know, um, well, those are the questions for now. Uh, I think Del is in the chat saying that um, uh, Matip reminds him of um, Nick and Knickknacks. I remember them. Um, thin and not very durable. Nice little snack there. But I'm, I'm a Space Raider girl, always have been. Um Let's kind of talk back to the game. And um, Mo, I'm going to stick with you uh, because one thing that I kind of noticed in the first half was um, just in general, um, uh, we'll wrap this up, was um, uh, the, the whole kind of like us not trying to play through the midfield. You know, we, you know, we couldn't, we, we've said it before, we couldn't string a pass together. But, you know, Jordan Henderson, you know, trying to, you know, spray the passes and it, it really did not help or benefit our, our strikers or our forwards. And, you know, you found... Um, you found Bobby doing the old school Bobby thing where when the midfield is losing the battle, he he was dropping deeper and deeper, which was actually really sad for me to see because um, certainly, you know, against Wolves and, you know, and in the game against the Ajax, he was in the box. 
And that's why, you know, it was almost like he wanted that involvement in, in, in scoring the goals. And, you know, we didn't see that. And I felt like, you know, those passes which weren't coming off, um, Fulham were clearing everything, really, really kind of affected, you know, um, how dire the front three actually looked in the first half. Yeah, you know, they just simply weren't getting the service. Um, mm. I thought that, you know, Fulham maintained a really good shape when they were off the ball, you know, defensively, they were really well set up. And we were struggling to even penetrate their half. I mean, we were going sideways and backwards um, with alarming frequency, but very few balls going forward, um, even fewer runs that were probing and running at their players. Um, so, so they were really well set up. And our, our midfield um, was completely overrun. I mean, I, I thought that uh, Loftus-Cheek and Gisa um, and Lamina, you know, the three of them were just um, far superior to all three of our midfielders in, uh, you know, Ginny, uh, Jordan and also Jones. Um, though mm-hmm. that said, I thought Jones towards the end of the first half certainly started to come into his own a little bit more. Yes. And I thought in the second half, he really kicked on and arguably finished the game as our, as our best player. Um, you know, certainly up there with Alisson uh, in terms of our best player for the match. But uh, yeah, we, we were really struggling in the middle of the park. And, you know, what that meant was, that, as, as you noted, you know, Bobby, as he often does in those situations, was dropping further and further into midfield, which then left even fewer buddies up front um, for, um, you know, the attacks to come off. And um, so it was just completely disjointed and... You know, it was it was again one of those types of performances where yes, it was reminiscent of that Watford game from last season, um, which was only just uh, you know earlier in this calendar year of 2020. So yeah, it was it was one of these things where I think that, that the midfield looked leggy, and I thought you know though Ginny, as I noted earlier, had a weak break. You know Henderson, you know he he got some minutes I think in mid in in midweek, and obviously put in the real exertion against Wolves uh, last weekend and uh, maybe maybe it all just caught up with him. And the same with Jones as well, who's obviously been playing quite a lot um, over the last several weeks as well. Yeah, all those minutes are certainly adding up. Dave, I'll come to you. Uh, second half, of course, we saw that substitution, um, uh, you know, my tea path at Minamino one, but my God, um, I, you know, Fulham, I mean, I think more just... Um, touched on something there, the fact that Alisson was probably one of our best players, but, you know, produced another crucial save yet again. And, I mean, your thoughts on Jones? Because I felt like he looked more like his usual self. Um, I felt like he had more space. Like he was running yeah. and dribbling. I, I think he was, yeah, possibly the, the best outfield player. I, I just feel blessed, you know, that, that the academy just keeps producing these talents. You know, when you produce someone like Trent, you kind of think that's that's it for the next 10 years. We're not going to produce someone like that. Jones looks an absolute beast. At the age that he is, he should not be as good as he is. And he just seems so, he's so calm on the ball. He's got such quick feet. Um, I, I just think he's, he's fantastic. And I, I know, you know, he's a bit frustrated last year that he wasn't getting enough chances. I, I think it's a testament to the guy that when I see him on the team sheet now, I think, yeah, that's part of our strongest lineup. And the guy's done brilliant. And it, it's going to be interesting, actually. You know, we saw Ox on the bench tonight, didn't we? He didn't get on, but, um, you know, it's brilliant to see him back. 
I wonder how, if we start to get all the players back, does Jones slip down the pecking order and get a bit frustrated because he's getting lots of game time at the minute? But, um, you know, he, he had a great run, didn't he, uh, in the second half where he took on, a, it was a good, powerful run. It was almost Steven Gerrard-like. Yes. Just waiting for him to bury it in the in the bottom corner, but, you know, keep him made a decent save. But... Or a Joel Matip run from defence when he's like, fuck it, I'm just going to run this <laughs> I prefer his Basil Faulty runs actually when he's you know <laughs> arguing with the referee and yeah. he just does that weird walk. But um, yeah, no, I think I think Jones has, has been great. No, he has been, and I certainly saw lots of positives from him. And I felt like as well in the second half, uh, Trent started looking better as well. You know, um, you know, there's more crosses coming from the right hand side and stuff. So it's good to see him kind of you know get the minutes and you know his minutes being managed sensibly. More come to you because I think one player that we kind of have to talk about and then um, uh, I'd, I'd like to get both of your thoughts on this is um, a player that Dave touched on, Minamino. Now he came on and I think there's been a lot of talk that, you know, he's not tactically aware, he's not switched on. His first um, involvement, he literally slipped and, you know, Martin Tyler made it known. Oh, luckily it wasn't costly, but I'd like to get your thoughts on him because I feel like he's not been given like a fair assessment. Like, again, he's a January um, move. I feel like every time he comes on, the odds are massively against him um, uh, in terms of we're either losing or he's playing against kids. I think he had one shot in Europe where he started and, you know, he, he failed to impress. But as a whole, I've, I still feel like I've not seen enough of him. But in this game, I saw glimpses of his pressing and, you know, him kind of sticking his foot in. And he's looking, I mean, he looks really fragile, but like... His pressing and him, him and, and Bobby Firmino's kind of link-up play was kind of um, quite defining in, in that shot that Henderson had, which, in my opinion, he should have scored. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, he, he does get a lot of stick and I think that some of it's unwarranted. I think people have to remember that, you know, we were only about two months into his time at the club uh, before we went into lockdown. And then obviously the season was suspended for, the you know, what, three months, three and a bit months. And when the season restarted, then um, he didn't get all that much great uh, game time. Um, and then at the start of this season, yes, he's had, you know, appearances here and there. But, you know, he's, he's not got this regular run of games. And obviously when he has had those chances, um, he hasn't really impressed all that much. But people have to remember that, you know, players are you know, performing different ways. You get some players that need that rhythm, that need to get these consecutive run of games where they start and, you know, build into this form. And you get others that can just come off a bench or come um, into a game, um, you know, not having played for one or two or three weeks, and they can just be on it and, you know, switch on straight away. And I think this guy is, is a rhythm player. I think he needs to build up um, you know, that in him. And, and that's where we've got the dilemma with him because realistically, who is he going to get in ahead of and get the regular minutes and get the regular starts? So, you know, that is something I think he'll have to work on, the club will have to work on. But, you know, let's not forget that, you know, the club was absolutely, um, you know, certain and convinced that they'd done great business back in January when they signed him from um, Salzburg. And, uh, you know, I think that we have to give, give the guy time. I mean, he's only been with us for a short while. And, you know, we talked about injuries and availability. Well, 
Now, he's somebody that's come in and he's largely been available. I mean, he might have had the odd knock and niggle here or there. But on the whole, he has been available um, for selection since he came. And, you know, at this moment in time, when we've got players dropping like flies, that is actually quite an important thing. It absolutely is. My God. I mean, it looks like we're going to be scouting the under eights at this rate. So availability is huge. Uh, Dave, you kind of spoke about Minamino and you said you saw things about him that kind of impressed you. I've kind of said what I saw in him. Like, I was really kind of watching him. You know, like, I think there's been a lot of talk about him being quite weak and he needs to hit the weights and stuff. But he does look like he's going to get muscled off. But today I did notice him stick the boot in and trying to win the ball back and trying to press and track back. And, you know, those were things that I saw positives in his game. Yeah, I mean, make no mistake, Minamino is a quality player. I think the the problem is he's he's probably just not quite as good. You know, you, you see a quality drop-off, don't you? If he comes in for one of those front three, you do see something drop-off. If he comes in for Mane or Mo, he doesn't have the pace that those guys do. If he plays that central role, he doesn't have the strength or physical presence that Bobby does. So, you know, he's still an absolute bargain, isn't it? What what are we getting for? Like seven, seven and a half million or something like that? Absolute bargain. And there's no way we'll lose money on him. And there is a player there. I just think that... <sighs> Because he's not really shining when we've got this injury crisis, I, I just think you, you're always looking to improve the squad and get better than what you've already got. And I just think he'll he'll be one of the players that potentially will we'll be looking to move on. If he doesn't kind of shine in the next year, I'm, I'm not talking about let's get him out in summer or whatever. I, I just think, uh, you know, because we're at such an elite level, you know, the team that won the league last year, Best Liverpool team I've ever seen. And before that, I would have said the the 88 team with Barnes, Beersley, Aldridge, I, I thought that mm. was the, the best team I would ever see. Last year was better than that. And so that that's what Minamino is trying to compete with. You know, he's trying to, you know, make an impression on a team that is at that elite level. And so that that's all I'm questioning. I, it, Anyone who says he's crap has not got eyes or watched the game properly. He is a quality player. I'm just thinking, you know, if you were to put in FIFA terms, you know, when the other guys are at, say, a 95 or something like that, he's just at an 87 or something like that. You you just see that quality drop off for me. But still a, a quality player. He is. I mean, you touched on it. Um, he gave me absolute um, palpitations when he was playing for Salzburg against Liverpool. I did not like him one little bit. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just putting that out there. And I just feel like it's really hard considering he has two minutes here or there in the league to make a difference. I I don't think anyone will shine in those circumstances. And, you know, I I just think we just got to wait with him and be patient. And I think like Mo said, every player responds very differently. And maybe he is a rhythm player. He needs to play a fair few games before we see the, the, the full effect of what Minamino could do. And maybe if he plays in his actual right position as well, rather than forcing him out, you know, here or there, you know, let him let him find his own natural, you know, um, maybe just play as a as a as a as a as a false nine or you know whatever, you know, just change it up a little. But I think he definitely needs rhythm. 
Right, let's yeah, kind of talk I, about... Go on. Sorry, Nina, sorry to cut across you there. Can I, can I just point out as well, as well as just the technicalities of how he fits into the team and what have you, what is playing on my mind is that if a South American comes into the club now, it's well established, isn't it? Whether they're Brazilian, uh, Argentinian or Uruguayan, whatever. There's a, there's a South American culture within the club that's been there for a long time now. So it's well established. You know, the families can get together. They have dinner together and everything. Great food culture, yep. Exactly. But, you know, Minimino is our first Japanese player. Mm. And it, it plays on my mind. You know, when, when they did the whole Premier League uh, celebration and he, ju- he was just, Minamino was just stood to the side, like he wasn't really part of the gang. And then Henderson ended up, you know, trying to get him involved. I just thought it was, it plays on my mind that, that he doesn't really feel at home with us yet. And it's probably as much to do with off the field things as, as on the field. And I just think if we can get him properly embedded into the club and he feels confident and happy with his life outside of football, I think we'll start to see a better player. I think that is a, a big thing, but I have kind of seen little things of him, you know. Um, I believe when he first came to the club, um, his, um, you know, his, his, um, in the dressing room, his station was between Naby Keita and Sadio Mane because obviously the Salzburg link. So, you know, um, you know, the club did think about these things and I have kind of seen videos of him. I think it was Alison's birthday and he's partying up with Alison or something. Or, you know, um, I, you know, so I think he is getting more and more comfortable. I think that last season thing, I think it might have been largely down to the fact that I don't want to celebrate this because I've actually contributed very little towards it. Didn't stop Michael Owen celebrating the Man U. Uh, oh, God, you know what? <laughs> Not everyone has class. I think it might have been down to that, the fact that, you know, obviously he had more of an involvement in what Salzburg did than what Liverpool did because, obviously, the season kind of stopped. I I mean, we don't know, but he does seem like a very, very shy, conservative player. But, um, again, like he said, I think once he's more settled, I think he needs to settle. And I think on and off the pitch, that is huge. And I think we need to be patient with him. Let's talk about, um, uh, you know, the the Mosala penalty and more. I'll come to you because um, Mosala is incredible. Uh, top um, a top goal scorer in the Champions League in such a short period of time as well, which goes to show just how many games this guy has actually played for the club to reach you know those records. He's he's phenomenal. And um, of course that penalty was a free kick. The ball hits the arm of um. Ooh, oh gosh, it was a player that came on. Let me get his name. Kamara, I think it was. Um, the ball hits his arm. Um, it's nice that we get a penalty. It looked like it had to be a wonder goal or something like that had to come our way because it looked like we weren't going to score from open field. Yeah, no, you're right. And, um, you know, it wasn't uh, one of Mo's best penalties. And, no, uh, <laughs> and had uh, Ariola been a bit stronger in um, uh, kind of defending against it, then you know it would have been a save, but uh, luckily uh, it got through Ariola and uh, you know got us level. But um, nonetheless, it was a good you know free kick effort by um, Ginny, and uh, you know that that kind of uh, brought us in. I was a bit worried when I saw Henderson standing over the ball because I mean when we have these free kicks, he's always over the ball, um, but I, I don't really rate his um, kind of striking ability from distance, and so I was worried that he'd actually try and take it and. Obviously, with Trent no longer on the pitch, uh, we didn't have an obvious free kick taker. But uh, I thought that uh, Ginny's effort was pretty decent. And obviously, 
it was decent enough to get us that penalty. And, uh, you know, granted it was a scrappy penalty, not one of Mo's best, but, you know, he, he still managed to convert it. And, uh, you know, then we thought, OK, well, you never know. We had a few more minutes to go. We can still go and get a second goal and win this. Yeah, Dave. Um, uh, it it wasn't his best penalty, but uh, I think it kind of summed up just the whole performance that it had to be that way and that scrappy. And uh, I was just kind of sat there thinking, I'm just waiting for VAR to say no, it's not, or, or you know, like something, <laughs> just something. You know, you're just waiting. You you just turn into a negative Nancy. That's what I've become. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the penalty again. You know, in old money. It's not a penalty, is it? He's kind of yeah. jumped up. You've got to have your elbows up to get fucking leverage to get off the ground. That That's just how the human body works. But the the penalty, the handball rules at the minute, as they are, as soon as it happens... That's it, a legit penalty, a penalty in the modern day rules. But I, I was like, just in my head, I was like thinking, way back when, um, it was ball, it was hand to ball, not ball to hand. And I think this is what they failed to grasp. VAR gets a lot of stick, including from myself. But actually, what they've fucked up is the rules because they've thought, right, while VAR comes in, we'll make these other rule changes as well, like the handball rule. So, you know, if, uh, we had one, actually, it was Minamino's goal, wasn't it? Disallowed because it, you know, yeah. Mo had headed it onto, uh, Sadio had, had headed it onto his hand and, uh, you know, he had no idea. There was no, I guess you could say there's an advantage because it deflected and, and went to Minamino, but it's ridiculous. That should not have been disallowed. And today's penalty should not have been a penalty. But that's what, you know, the lawmakers of the game have, have decided right now. So it's kind of ridiculous. I, But you know what? If karma is really a thing, then we're, we're owed a few more. <laughs> so we are. <laughs> I, I didn't feel bad about it at all. And so, you know, like I say, when when it went to VAR review, I'm thinking, yeah, they're, they're not going to overturn that. Um, mind you, I thought that about the Everton goal. But, um, but yeah, when it comes to the penalty, I've, I've almost got Sam Evans's words in my ear. He's running up to it, and I'm thinking, oh, this is just the kind of fucking shit game where he's going to balloon this over. And, you know, Sam's words are, Mo doesn't necessarily pass the eye test. You know, he doesn't look like he's going to be an effective penalty taker, and it just kind of creeps in. And, and you're right, the old... We mentioned about Matip having Chris bag uh, tendencies, and, and definitely the keeper had Chris bag hands there. He should have really saved that, having got to it. But, you know ends up in the back of the net. So, yeah, just a kind of scrappy penalty, like you say, that uh, that that was going to get us a point from this game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've got one final thought on, on a player that came on. Um, uh, you know, you're kind of um, fantasising about him getting, you know, um, uh, the, the last-ditch goal and Origi came on and he looks like a footballer who is just... Completely zoned out. Um, I have no idea what's going on with him. Um, you know, people always compare playing, you know, when we have Divokovigi on right now as being turned down, but you're kind of hoping that, you know, he revives, you know, the, 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 the form or, you know, the, the goal from, um, the Everton game during Christmas time. I mean, it just goes to show just like, you know, obviously 
under normal circumstances, Jota, Jota comes on so much sooner in that game. I mean, what do you guys make of Divock Origi right now? I mean, like, obviously he signed that contract. It's looking really difficult, but he just looks like he's not there. And um, Mo, I'll come to you first on this one because it's actually really sad to see because he has got cult hero status. We know he can like score a goal out of nothing and he has no idea what's going on. You, you kind of hold on to that optimism and that hope that he might produce that goal out of nothing, but it's just not happening. No, it isn't, is it? It's, um, it looks like his luck has completely run out. Maybe it ran out that night against Barcelona because ever since... Well, certainly, obviously, had a very magical moment a few weeks after that game in the Champions League final, uh, let's not forget. But uh, pretty much since then, he's added very little to us. And almost, you know, certainly the kind of finance side of me wishes we really had sold him that summer because, you know, we would have probably got 25, 30 million for him. He's at his absolute peak in terms of reputation at that time. And now he's barely worth a fraction of that. And, you know, it's just a shame that... um, you know, he, he's gone and back and regressed into this uh, player that was stinking up um, Liga when he played, I think, was it for Lille, um, just before he joined us when he was on loan from them um, for a season. And uh, I just don't understand why, you know, he's regressed so much because obviously he's, he's never been the greatest of players, but he always had it in him to score a goal or at least mm. be there at the right moment um, to at least get on to the end of a, a chance, even if it was a speculative one, such as the Everton one in the 96th minute. But, yeah, all of that has gone, you know, and um, I, I, like you, I was hoping, yeah, he would just bring a, a major surprise just to kind of, uh, you know, silence all the many critics from the, amongst the Liverpool fan base that, you know, just give him stick every time he's out on the pitch. But no, it wasn't to be, he kind of, backed up all the criticisms made by everyone that criticised him amongst Liverpool fans. And, uh, yeah, it was never going to really uh, finish with a 2-1 for us, unfortunately, with him on the pitch. And then, obviously, Bobby, whose goals have dried up. And even even Sadio Mane, you know, who's normally such a reliable source of goals for us. So, over the last, you know, few weeks, the goals have dried up for him as well. So, that that's real concern now that Jota's out. Um, and unfortunately, when we're looking to Rigi to kind of help us out here in the next few weeks, I really don't see it from him. It's really sad and really concerning. And Dave, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, you know, the, the man, the myth, Divock Origi. <laughs> legend as well, actually. The legend. He is a legend. Let's be honest. He you know, is a legend, yeah. isn't he? And I like him. You know, I, I, I think he... The, the problem is... He's a number nine. He's a classic number nine. He wants to be running in behind defenders. He's big, strong, powerful. He he wants to have space in front of him that he can run into. And we just don't play that way. And I just think it's a case of he's just out of sync with the whole team. So, I, I you know, it would have been great if he'd have popped one in and, and would have just added to his legendary status. But... I think it's one of those where he does need to move on. I don't think we should take, you know, small change for him. I, I think he is a quality player. I think for, you know, if you look at that Fulham side tonight, you know, when they were running in behind us, he, he'd have been perfect for them. I just think that this whole system that, that revolves around Bobby, kind of, Ariga just sticks out like a sore thumb. 
And so I, I just think that, you know, he can do the occasional good thing. And I, and I hope in this season he's going to do more. What I actually think is he looks like a player who now believes that he doesn't fit in. You know, whereas before, I think he, he probably had that bit of a bit of self-belief, bit of cockiness, bit of arrogance that it's like, well, I'll show you. Whereas now he just sort of looks like he's going through the motions a bit and it, it's a bit sad to see. But I, I still remain optimistic that mm. he's going to have, you know, the odd moments. And, and you know, for for classic legendary moments, he, he doesn't do badly, does he? It's like, it's like Balotelli. You know, Balotelli's got one assist in the Premier League, and he just happened to be that 2012 that, that goal, assist yes. to Aguero, you know. <laughs> so Origi's kind of the same, you know. He's never going to get, you know, the, the numbers that, like, Mo Salah gets in terms of goals. But when he does do something, it, it's pretty big. You know, the, the Barcelona goals, obviously, Champions League final goal, goal against Everton in the last minute, you know. He'll always be a legend for me, but I kind of think to maintain that legendary status, he does kind of have to move on. Well, you know, you kind of mentioned Balotelli there. Didn't he get a goal against Spurs in his first season? I don't know. I, you know I'm the, sure the he did. I, you the know, goal let's... I remember that he got was he was about four or five yards offside. <laughs> Um, in a cup game, and I just remember thinking, I remember thinking about it a few weeks ago, and I was thinking, yeah, there's no way that would have stood today. <laughs> Bless him. No, I'm, I'm pretty certain he actually scored against Spurs. So you know what? If if you're comparing, let's let's make it happen. And you know what? I think we could really do with them a, a a kind of confident self belief in in a, in Divokarigi because um my my God, like like Mo said, the goals are drying up and we we need them from anywhere. You know, um you know Ox is on the bench that's looking good. You know, everyone needs to put in a shift now. It's absolutely crucial, guys. Um, we have come to the end of the show. Before I go, is there anything you want to get off your chest? I call this the closure podcast. Anything, um, anything that we've not mentioned, you feel like needs airing right now? Um, speak now or forever hold your peace. Um, I will come to more first. Uh, well, only just to say that it was so good to see Alison back in goal. I mean, yes. you know, Kelleher, you know he. To be fair to him, he's done really well since he's been in the team. Uh, I was so scared when I saw his like his name on the lineup the other week, and uh, you know he put me right in my place and silenced mm. me and all of the other critics. You know he looks looks like a completely different player, but Allison is is the next level and he is top class. And we really needed him today, and uh, you know at least that gives some crumb of comfort for the coming games that. You know, despite everything, despite the injury setbacks at the back, you know, we still have that big man in the middle of the sticks. And uh, whilst he's there, then, you know, we're always in with a chance. Absolutely. It kind of, um, you know, gives some kind of assurance to, um, you know, a disjointed, um, unsettled um, uh, defence there. And what about yourself, Dave? Anything that you kind of, you know, if there's a specific player or something from the game, anything? So I'm actually going to pick up. So Ramiz has posted in the chat here that um, there's a quote from Klopp after the match. And he says, yeah, we only managed to get one point from this game. But do you know who also has one point this season? Chris Wilder. So I don't know if that's a wind up um, or he actually said that. But if he did say that, I don't like that at all. 
And I know he's got his problems with Chris Wilder with the whole three substitutes thing versus five substitutes and what. But I, I just don't see why he has to expel any mental energy thinking about Chris Wilder. As as uh, Loki says in Avengers Assemble, he says uh, an ant doesn't have a quarrel with a boot. You know, mm. we should not be asked about Sheffield United at all. And it's agreed. It's annoying me that Klopp even gives them airtime, or he's clearly he's clearly very very agitated about it, right? And he's probably got a good a good reason to. Again, I think the the Premier League has been weak with this whole five substitution thing. I think we should have taken the. I think they should have just taken the executive decision and just said, "This is it. We're going to fall into line with what everyone else is doing." But no, they absolve themselves of any kind of responsibility and just put it out to a vote and everyone's looking for their own selfish reasons as mm-hmm. they should do you know yeah. you're going to vote for your own selfish reasons and guess what most of the clubs aren't in europe so they're going to vote for well let's keep keep it down and then the bigger squads will get fatigued more with their midweek european matches but it, it annoys me and i used to laugh at Pep Guardiola, at how obsessed last season he was with us. You know, the whole uh, penalty situation where he's where he's going like, twice, twice. I, I, if I'm a bit down, I, I do like to go back and look at that and amuse myself. But, you know, Guardiola, for me, lost their momentum last year. So, so they should have run us closer than they did. But his mindset, and he was so obsessed with us, it filtered down throughout the team. You could see it. The whole Sterling and Gomez thing. That For me, that all comes from the manager down. And I don't mm. like Klopp's um, obsession with Wilder. And, and I just think he needs to let it go. Who gives a fuck about Sheffield United? Because I don't. <laughs> I don't care about them. I just want us to focus on the games. And if I'm to take one positive, and this really is me being optimistic, I think tactically, you know, most of the time in between games we're spending recovering from the last game, but they they have to have some training sessions. I think they're focused on the Spurs game. I think that's how they're setting up tactically. And so they've kind of taken this one just as a given that they're going to, they don't need to do anything particularly special. And now Fulham have almost done a number on us. But I think we'll see a better team in midweek. I hope you're right. And just for anyone that's listening, we literally, as soon as the game's over, we come up to record. So we don't know whether this tweet was an actual genuine club quote or not. I'm actually hoping it's not because I'm, I'm with you. Let's not talk about anyone. It look, also seems very out of character for Jurgen Klopp to make that kind of quote. Yeah, certainly when he's not playing Chef, you know, certainly when we're not playing Sheffield United, you know, it just seems like a bit out there. But I mean, who knows if he has, don't, you know, don't do it again. But again, I, I, I agree with you on that one. Um, right, guys, um, we have come to the end of the show. So I think. Alleged, just say allegedly. OK, um, allegedly. Um, guys, um, man of the match. Um, who's your man of the match? I think I know. Which two players you're going to pick? Because there were probably two that actually did perform really well. So, Mo, I'll come to you first. I've got to go with um, the man Curtis Jones. I thought he uh, 
put in a really strong performance second half, uh, really came into it in the back end of the first half and for certainly outfield wise was our best player. Um, you know, really showed tempo, uh, a, a desire, a will to win. And that's what we want to see in games like this where, you know, you're trying to go for the league title and, you know, we need that kind of character um, from players like that. So from a 19-year-old as well, uh, really, really good to see and I hope he keeps it up. Absolutely. And what about yourself, Dave? I mean, you've got Curtis Jones there, Delhi Singh, Andy Mariner, Andre Mariner. Um, your, your thoughts? Who, who's your man of the match? Yeah, I think outfield, I, I think Curtis Jones definitely up there. He's he shone in the second half. Didn't really do much, but no outfield players did in the first half. Um, I do think Mane had a few flashes as well in the second half. Mo, you've got to say, I think he should have scored in the first half, actually, right right near the end. But uh, to put away the penalty, good on you. You know, when things aren't going well, to have the balls to step up and stick that one away, fair play to you. But I'm going to give it to Alisson. You know, mm. it's his first game back. And to be honest, if he didn't make the saves, if he wasn't the presence that he is in that first half, then the second half doesn't matter. So him being that presence, I, I think throughout the 90 minutes, he was the best player for us. I actually have to agree with you there. I feel like his saves were you know, quite crucial and quite fitting that you know, people are talking about, oh, it's been two years since the Napoli game. And he made that save. Um, you know, if he doesn't make those saves, we're 3-0 down easy. So, yeah, I'll, I'll have to agree with that. But I do agree that both him and Curtis Jones were probably the best. I probably couldn't look anywhere else. Guys, let us know your thoughts. Who's your man of the match and why? A massive thank you for everyone listening. A huge thank you to both Dave and more. But before I let them go, I'm going to get some plugs where you can find them on Twitter and all that good stuff. So, uh, Mo, I'll come to you um, uh, um, if you want to put, um, uh, you know, plug your podcast and where people can find you on Twitter. Okay, so firstly on Twitter, I'm at Mo Chatra, M-O-C-H-A-T-R-A. And podcast-wise, I don't have a Money Talks lined up for this month, for the month of December, um, but I do have... Um, transfer committee coming up yet again in advance of the January transfer window mm-hmm. with Dave, with um, Dan Kennett and the main man himself, Gags Tandon, your favourite Nina. Yeah, my favourite part of that podcast is you telling Gags he can't spend money. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's literally the best. And, you know, <laughs> I, I did a, a Media Matters podcast when we started lockdown and um, we... Uh, Eddie was on the show and we kind of said, well, who from, you know, the, um, you know, from all the podcasters, who would you like to be in quarantine with and why, you know, the, why, what are the reasons? And I picked you because I said, you know what, he'd stop me from buying oh. stupid things and I might actually <laughs> save some money. I'd be like, I want to buy some toothpaste and more chapter will turn around and say to me, use some coal. You know, you would literally put a cap on my spending. <laughs> so, you know, you you're, you would change my life for the better. I'm just putting that out there. More chatter is the ideal person to be in lockdown with. There you go. And I'll, what about... I'll put that on my tombstone. <laughs> you should. Because um, <laughs> trust me, I'm, I'm quite a picky person. You, you Literally, I could not live with anyone. But you, I, I, see, I see the benefits of um, a person like you. What about yourself, um, Dave? Um, where can people find more of your work? I know you're a busy bee. And where can people find you on Twitter? 
Yeah, so podcast-wise, you can find me on Comics in Motion. So we're gearing up for Christmas. So we've got a, an episode coming out. Uh, it's called We Wish You a Turtle Christmas, which is a horrendous um, <laughs> Christmas special that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did back in 1994. It was a straight-to-DVD or straight-to-video thing. Um, it's probably one of the worst things you ever see, but um, usually when we cover things like that it's, it, it makes for an entertaining chat um you can also get me on the vhs strikes back as well so there we go back and we look at those kind of retro movies from the 80s and 90s and so um again we'll look at uh sort of holiday specials we've got a bit of home alone coming up as well what classic that is so uh yeah i can't wait to uh to go and view that Wonderful stuff, guys. Give both of these guys a follow. Um, for my part, I will be back with Euro Incision on AI Pro, where we I will be giving my reaction to the draw and uh, who Liverpool face and exciting stuff. Um, uh, and it's nice to have a little break from Europe as well. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, try staying positive. And until next time, take care, stay safe, wear a mask and up the reds. Podcast Network.